0: Welcome to DLA Piper's at the Intersection of Science and Law podcast. In this episode, DLA Piper partner Danny Toby is joined by Aviva Ween, Assistant General Counsel at Johnson & Johnson, to discuss how medical device and pharmaceutical companies are future-proofing their innovations in artificial intelligence as new regulations and risks arise.
1: This is Danny Toby from DLA Piper. Today we could not be more excited to welcome our guest, Aviva Ween from Johnson & Johnson, to talk about how they are looking at future-proofing their innovation in artificial intelligence as the rules continue to come out. Aviva, welcome.
2: Hey Danny, thanks so much for having me. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Aviva Ween. I am an assistant general counsel at Johnson and Johnson. I'm group leader of a group called Litigation Policy and Risk Management at J and J. And really excited to be here with you, Danny.
1: Thanks so much, Aviva. So tell us a little bit about your new job. It strikes me that it spans across a lot of different areas, which is really similar to what we're going to be talking about today with artificial intelligence.
2: Yeah, happy to. And it certainly does. I like to think about it as kind of an elastic job. So, for about nine years at JJ, I did strictly product liability litigation. So, managing a lot of our multi district litigations, one off litigation in the product liability space. And about eight months ago, I transitioned to a new role in a new group that we created called Litigation Policy and Risk Management. And it encompasses a couple of different pillars, the largest of which is litigation policy. So, that's really the formulation and execution of policy initiatives designed to advance litigation objectives outside the courtroom. So I worked very, very closely with our government affairs and policy colleagues to further legislative, judicial, administrative agendas at local, state, federal, and international levels that impact litigation outcomes. Part of my role is to ensure that our litigation policy worldwide is pursued in a consistent and coordinated manner. So that's difficult when you have a multinational like ours with lots of different litigation happening around the world. And I really work very closely in this role with our government affairs policy, communication, investor relations teams regarding litigation policy initiatives. So that's one pillar of it. Another, which takes up a fair amount of time, is the risk management side. It's a forward-looking role. So thinking not just about managing litigation as it exists today, already brought against us, but looking into the future, looking at our products, looking at ingredients and thinking about how those will be leveraged by the plaintiff's bar in the future.
1: Aviva, first of all, congratulations on the new job. It sounds really exciting because lawyers were often looking backwards, and it sounds like you really get the opportunity to look forwards. Along those lines, let me ask, what are you most excited about when it comes to adopting AI at the enterprise level?
2: So first, I guess I should say that the views that I will express are my own and not those of J&J, but I have a lot of my own views, so you don't need to worry. <laughs> so I guess the thing that I'm most excited about when it comes to AI in the healthcare space is how I think it's going to transform healthcare. I think that it will be used more widely in drug development. It's already being used in robotic-assisted surgery, even in commercial activities, in supply chain, in chatbots when it comes to healthcare. I think all of that is really, really exciting and really exciting for folks who perhaps have challenges with access to healthcare. But what I think is really important is as we lean into this new platform and this new world that it's really important to lean into it with principles. So principles like fairness, privacy, responsibility, security, transparency, those have to be our guide as we continue to see AI playing a central role in the development of life-saving medicines and technology.
1: You mentioned just a few of the areas that artificial intelligence is already impacting. And I see this in my own practice. It's everything from product design, repurposing old products, maximizing efficiencies and supply chain and hiring, you name it, it cuts across the board. So from your perch, what are the biggest challenges of adopting such a wide ranging technology in an organization as large as Johnson & Johnson?
2: So, I think it's similar to any other kind of transformational platform. You encounter some of the same kinds of challenges. So, lack of skill set. So, particularly when an enterprise isn't in this business, the business of AI, software, robotics, leaning into that space requires you to be flexible about finding employees with the skill sets that you need and want and aren't necessarily gleaned from the same sources that you would normally get your employees from. And so, you have to be flexible about that. Finding good vendors to work with, you know what your traditional healthcare vendors are. This is a very different space. But I think one of the biggest challenges is integrating these work streams into already existing infrastructures, particularly in a highly regulated industry. I think you have to be very careful that the teams that you're bringing on to work on these new platforms aren't siloed, that they understand that there are already existing infrastructures, that there are SOPs and workflows that we follow so that you're integrated into it and not just operating in a standalone organization. Like I said, particularly where you're a highly regulated industry, that becomes very important, understanding how AI fits in there. And then I think lastly, where data becomes your product and you're not used to that, you have to really ramp up your focus on privacy, cybersecurity, which are always important areas of focus in anything that we do. But where data is your product, it becomes a really central focus. So just getting people to really understand that AI, software, robotics, all of those areas, they're not like the products that a traditional healthcare company is used to developing, researching, and ultimately distributing to the public.
1: I think we all feel that way a little bit now, even at the law firm, we're using data analytics to do everything from find the best brief templates to looking for cartel activity. You said something really important, and I just want to highlight it. It has to fit within the existing culture. And I'm seeing that with our responsible AI policies, where we go in with these ideas about what good AI looks like, but when we help the company adopt those policies, it's really a matter of tailoring it to make sense within the company culture and values that already exist. Otherwise, it's kind of a square peg round hole. I'm wondering if you're seeing anything like that.
2: Yeah, so I think that's very true. And I think some of the challenges that you face are things like, oh, this is shiny and pretty and new. So I want to have it. But is that something you should have? Is that something that works within your product portfolio? Is this something that's going to advance, for example, health for humanity? Or is it just pretty and shiny? So that's one thing that I think that folks have to be on the lookout for. AI, software, robots, it's all very attractive because it's new and it's interesting and it has great potential, but it has to fit into your guiding purpose. And I think that you can't lose sight of your guiding purpose, even as these new technologies come into play. So I think that it's really important that there be a top-down approach for an ethical foundation for using AI. And there need to be policies in place so that you have, across the company, across all the different functional areas, across all the different sectors of businesses that you may have, that you have a consistent approach to using AI.
1: That's so true, Aviva. I have seen this play out over and over again, where the board says, what are you doing about AI? And management says, okay, what are we doing about AI? And then the project lead calls me up and says, what are we doing about AI? And (laughs) it is sometimes a solution in search of a problem. So how do you manage that? You've got innovators all over the company with different ideas, enthusiastic to adopt this. How are you connecting all those dots?
2: It's hard. We'll start there. I think that many companies are very relationship-driven. Relationships are at the core of everything that you do and really help get your consistent messaging across. But there's a real challenge, particularly if you have a big company with lots of different product offerings that isn't ultimately centrally connected on issues like this. So to become connected on issues like this, is difficult. It's a challenge, particularly when it's shiny and new and you want to do the best you can for example, patients and get something out there that can help them on one side of a company, while the other side of a company of course wants to do the same thing, but is it approaching it a little bit differently. Trying to get everybody together and building that business use case for a consistent approach across an enterprise in an area like this requires, I would say, a lot of networking hard work, the implementation of our own advocacy skills that we start learning as baby lawyers and hopefully refine those over the years, but to really present a business case as to why a consistent approach to something like this is so important and how it ultimately benefits the business and those that you serve.
1: It's so important. You're absolutely right to keep the mission front and center and everything follows that you talk about connecting people and relationships within the organization and it's funny because we're talking about computer networks but at the end of the day the success is always going to come from the people networks that manage and drive those a lot of what we're doing these days is going into companies and helping set up like you said mm-hmm. the benign top down systems where We can connect all the dots within the organization and make sure people have the right data rights and they're pooling data in effective ways and using it in consistent ways. But at the same time, we don't want to stifle innovation. So along those lines, what role do risk assessments play from your perspective in developing a new product, especially something as new as artificial intelligence? And to play devil's advocate, is AI different at all?
2: Yeah. So before I get into that very good question, Danny, just something you said about connecting people and having the top-down approach to something like this. I think one thing that is really important, though, to keep in mind is particularly in the risk assessment, litigation, liability sphere, it's really important to be able to make that case to the business as to why this is different or maybe the same right? Why when you think about AI, software, robotics, all of those things in the context of liability and risk, you have to make the case as to why this is different and why you need a different approach. Because many times I would say in large companies with different franchises, smaller companies, different product offerings, they take different approaches to perhaps research and development, to marketing, to commercialization of products. And they're used to doing that in the traditional sense. But thinking about AI in a different way when it comes to risk management, it's important to make that case to the business as to why that consistent approach is important and why, while the risk is there, it may be a little bit different. So I think that your question that you just posed, how does risk assessment play a role in product development? Is AI different or not? Look, risk assessment is a key component of every part of product development, of product approvals, of product clearance, and AI isn't different. In that regard. But I think that it's a little bit different in that it's less static. So in a usual product offering, you do your research and development, you do your risk assessment, ultimately your product gets cleared or approved by FDA, benefits outweigh the risks, you have your instructions for use, you have your product insert, you have your surgical technique guide, whatever it may be. And of course, you do post-market assessments and you look at all of that to inform a continuing evaluation of risk-benefit. But I think that when you think about products that integrate AI, like robotics, there are those traditional kinds of risk like operator error and things like that. But there are different kinds of risks like failure to update software that could result in a bad clinical outcome, faulty assumptions that are included in that AI that may result in a negative clinical outcome, use of poor quality data. And that may be something like the initial data set or your failure to continue to update the data set as more data becomes available. So I think when you think about risk assessment in the AI world, you think about it in the traditional product space, but I think you have to think about it a little more fluidly. So expand your traditional risk entry points, as it were, to appropriately do a risk assessment and mitigate those risks.
1: Well, you're absolutely right. And it's interesting to see how exactly what you just described, this cycle of continuous product development and updating and monitoring and feedback that our regulatory system really wasn't built for. And to FDA's credit, they've really been on the forefront of introducing this idea of the total product lifecycle approach and looking at change control plans. So with that segue into regulation, I would imagine a real challenge of your job is setting up the guardrails when new regulations are coming out all the time and nobody knows where the puck's gonna land, how are you managing that?
2: Well, we hire people like you, Danny.
1: <laughs> we we did not plan that answer in advance, but it was absolutely perfect. Couldn't have said it better myself.
2: Like, I think that you're right. And when you think about this, I think the first thing you have to be thinking about is the ever-changing landscape and that ever-changing landscape globally. So you talked about FDA, but for a multinational company that's developing products across the world that's selling products across the world, that's helping patients across the world, that you have to look at that landscape globally. And everybody's doing things a little bit differently when it comes to this space. So that's difficult. So you have to have people who are focused on keeping track of that around the world and understanding the practical applications of those regulatory frameworks. Because in my experience, sometimes what you see are folks keeping track of those regulatory frameworks detached from the practical application of those regulatory frameworks, particularly in a liability space. So making those connections and being sure that even those folks aren't siloed is really important. And then I think that there are certain principles that you just have to keep in mind that help you navigate that ever-changing landscape. When you think about AI, it's all about data. So your data quality has to be at the heart of what you're doing. You have to be motivated to achieve accuracy and fairness. Your data sets have to be relevant and free of error, and complete, and representative. So those are some principles that you have to keep in mind. Policies, right? And that's something we're working on now. You have to have thoughtful and relevant policies that can be operationalized. So your policies can't be like pie in the sky. This is what we'd love to see in a perfect world. You have to remember that your policies exist in the context of a complex, highly regulated business, and one that needs to actually do business. So Reality sometimes has to play a role in what we'd love to see in a perfect world. So those policies have to be able to be operationalized in an economically feasible way. I think you have to be champions of transparency You said this before, they are always humans and you can't discount the need for human oversight. That's really important. And then, of course, having risk management systems that are geared toward AI and taking those corrective actions where you need to take them. And risk management systems geared toward AI is interesting in the context of healthcare companies. We're very used to doing things in the traditional adverse event space, whether it's pharmaceuticals, medical devices, consumer products. But being sure that your risk management systems that you had in place for those traditional kinds of products are relevant for AI-type products, or they need to be adjusted in some way. But you're right in that new rules are always coming out. And what that means for your product, what that means for your employees, what that means for your SOPs that you have in place, what that means for your risk management systems that you have in place... It's just a very fluid, evolving area and you have to learn to be flexible and you have to learn to be capable of swift changes. And I think it requires lots of agility, which many companies are just learning to have, particularly if you aren't a startup company, but you are a larger company that's been around for a long time and this is a new area that you're entering into, that learning to be that kind of agile is really important.
1: Well, and the agility is a new kind of agility too, because robots and technology have been doing jobs that people used to do since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. So that's not new. But what is new is relying on machines to do the knowledge work and the thinking and the judgment and the decision making that traditionally we've put into human hands. So I agree with you. That person versus tool dichotomy we're all used to is harder to manage. And there is a real question of who oversees whom and Mm -hmm. when does the human operator override the machine and when is it better for them to not? So I think agility is going to be the name of the game because where we are today with what AI can do is nothing like where we're going to be in five or 10 years from now.
2: Yeah. And when you think about that in the healthcare space with products and you then insert the surgeon into that mix, it becomes even more complex. How are you training people on your new kinds of devices? Who's making those ultimate calls? Where does the liability lie? How far can you go to override a robot's decision if we one day get there? So all of these things are things we need to be thinking about as if, quite frankly, we're living in the Jetsons, right? Because like (laughs) you said, one day we will be there. And it's exciting. It's challenging. But ultimately, if we can integrate these new kinds of platforms into a space like healthcare, I think it can only lead to better outcomes for patients if we do
1: it in the right way. Absolutely. And you said something that really resonated with me, which is that AI policies have to be operational. (laughs) And I think a lot of companies are falling into this trap of we have a responsible AI policy. We have an ethical AI policy. Congratulations, we're done. And you know what? Congratulations is right, because a lot of companies haven't adopted those policies, and it's a good thing to have. But that's only the beginning. Like you said, we can all agree that- Fairness and privacy and security are good, but what does your procurement policy look like for AI? What does your design policy look like? What are the controls in place to make sure that things are updated appropriately or change is managed? So we're really seeing people now moving to that next level, which I know you've been thinking a lot about of, all right, the rubber's meeting the road. We're really doing this. What does that mean?
2: Yeah, and I think it's critical if you don't have the skill set already at your company to be able to answer those questions in a practical way to find it. And you may be surprised. I mean, I can recently think of an example where I randomly met somebody at a meeting and I thought to myself, well, this is somebody I need to include on a project I'm working on because he'd have such a tremendous value add. You have to always be keeping your eye out for those little nuggets of wisdom from people that can come together to create these policies, to help you implement these policies, to help you build the story, the narrative around why these policies are so important. And ultimately, I think that's the only way to success.
1: Well, let's talk about education. So you have this amazing team of bright, dedicated... Outside lawyers, yeah. (laughs) We can keep going all day. This is fantastic. So I was going to say J&J employees, and they are maybe new to AI. Maybe some of them do have experience. But how do you disseminate this training? How do you get everybody to the same level, thinking about the same values, planning for the same mission? I
2: think it has to be a voice from the top with many different initiatives. If it's going to resonate as something important throughout an organization, it has to come from the top. So the idea that there are important core principles around AI and how we use it, and then ultimately that processes are necessary and consistent processes across companies are necessary in order to do this in the best way possible for patients, that kind of concept needs to come top down. So again, I think we talked about making the business case as to why this is important for the business, why it's important for patients, why it's ultimately important for the future of any company that's moving into the space. All of that needs to come from top down. And I think that people need to also understand that the outcome of doing this in, quote, the right way, because right is always in flux and fluid and changes, the outcome of that is what should be driving you. So for example, when you think about these new platforms in healthcare, there's nothing more important than transforming health for humanity. So if you keep that at the core of everything that you're doing and understanding that that's why you have these processes in place, that's why you're doing things a certain way, I think that motivates people. At j we're lucky enough to have a credo that's our guiding light and it guides us in a way that we're lucky, right? It puts patients at the core of everything that we do. And it isn't just a saying, it's something we live by every day. And for this, it would be no different.
1: Well, I will say as a doctor and a nerd, a proud nerd, (laughs) I cannot wait to see all the things that are going to come when J&J's innovation is coupled with artificial intelligence. Because you named a few examples, but the new drug discoveries, the new healthcare delivery mechanisms. I mean, it really does have the potential to bridge gaps in healthcare, to solve previously unsolvable problems. And kudos to J&J for creating your position. Because as these technologies cut across the old silos, it's very reassuring to have people like you in positions that can look across the field and really see the big picture and steer the ship. So we're thrilled to watch you guys and see what you're going to do. And we're delighted that you took the time to join us today.
2: It was my pleasure, Danny. It's always great to talk and look forward to continuing our journey together.
1: Sounds great. And thank you all for listening. We're thrilled to bring you these chats, and we hope you enjoy them as much as we do.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to DLA Pipers at the Intersection of Science and Law podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the series so you can receive notifications about new episodes. All information, content, and materials contained in this podcast are for general informational purposes only. This podcast is intended to be a general overview of the subjects discussed and does not create a lawyer-client relationship. Statements and opinions are those of the individual speakers and participants and do not necessarily reflect the policies or opinions of DLA Piper LLP US. The information contained in this podcast is not and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice. No listener should act or refrain from acting with respect to any particular legal matter on the basis of this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. This podcast may qualify as lawyer advertising, requiring notice in some jurisdictions. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. DLA Piper LLP US accepts no responsibility for any actions taken or not taken as a result of this podcast.